Aloha Kako. You are listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exist to share the voices of those connected to the land. Our vision is to create a resource for Pilina or connection to place, and Native Stories aims to activate Indigenous perspectives. Aloha Kako. I'm Nanea Lo, and I come from Papakaleo Oahu, and I'm currently residing on Kikapu and Wichita land, um, in uh, better known as Dallas, Texas. And mahalo nui for joining us on another episode of Native Stories, where we're doing a COVID-19 series. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Kuike Kamakeo Ohelo, um, son of Huli leader Kalani Ohelo. Um, Kuike was also interviewed in a past podcast with Native Stories on um, Save Our Sherwood. So, aloha, Kuike. Um, could you share with our listeners where you're from and what kind of work you do? Uh, aloha, my kako. Um, as Nanea uh, gracefully uh, introduced me, my name is Kuike Kamakea Ohelo. <laughs> and I am a son of Waimanalo, uh, the most eastern point of Oahu, uh, the main island in, the, <clears throat> in Hawaii. So uh, currently, uh, I serve as the president of Save Our Sherwoods, which is a grassroots organization, community-based, um, and built for the community by the community. And I also serve as the Vice President of Agriculture in HINA. Um, it's an acronym for Hawaiian Indigenous Natural Agriculture. Um, and I am also, uh, the best job I have is uh, being a dad <laughs> to, uh, for, for beautiful so children. So we actually wanted Kuike to come on and talk about kind of community work that he's doing on his grassroots community connections. Um, I guess we can also ask, like, how have you um, also worked with Native Stories? Because um, I know Nohealani told me that you've also done some other work for us as well. Yeah. So um, I met Nohea. Uh, she came by Hunana Niho one time and was talking story. And uh, um, she asked uh, if we were interested, my sister-in-law, Ka'u, and myself, I mean, talking story about what's happening uh, right here, yeah, um, in Waimanalo at Hunana Niho, or as we commonly know, uh, Sherwood Forest. And uh, basically, she interviewed us and just talked story for about an hour and a half, I believe, and whatever else mo'olelos that we wanted to share. And from then till now, I've had the pleasure of working um, with Native Stories in um capturing uh, the history of our ali'i in Waikiki as well as uh, other ali'i around the Pai Aina and just telling the story. And um, I'm totally digging it. I totally support Native stories because we come from an oral culture where our history, um, skills, our lessons, and stories have been passed down from generation to generation, told from kupuna to keiki or grandparent to grandchild. Yeah, this wisdom, this knowledge has been passed down um, for millennia now. And uh, because of technology, I see, you know, the talk story, the pilina or relationship, as you mentioned earlier, within the Ohana units um, getting weak because we consume most of our knowledge uh, 
from our phones or from the television or from some you know foreign uh, foreign entity <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, I'm happy I'm happy to have a small brief history for the past year with native stories and I hope uh, we can continue to tell our stories um, for the next hundred years through this platform yes so everyone if you hear his voice on other projects that Native Stories is doing. This is him. Um, so I wanted to ask too, uh, what is the Mo'olelo? I don't, I'm not sure if we actually asked this question last time when you um, did the episode on Hunara Niho, but what is the Mo'olelo around that name? Can you share with them about that? Uh, so I'll share a brief history of the Mo'olelo of Hunana Niho. Um, there is no timeline. Currently, uh, we don't know the timeline of when Hunana Niho was built. And when I talk about Hunana Niho being built, I'm specifically speaking to Hunana Niho as the Pu'uhonua. Now, it could possibly be the first Pu'uhonua on Oahu, um, to date, to uh, to record, um, we haven't heard or read or any other Pu'uhonua that pre-existed um, Hunana Niho. Now, Hunana Niho sits in the heart of the Bellows Air Force, uh, the Bellows Complex here in Wamanalo, which is approximately 1,200, 1,300 acres. So we got to understand the geographical location of Waimanalo, and we sit on the east, most eastern point of Oahu. Um, being that if our kupuna came from Kahiki, yeah, from the east, that mm-hmm. this would most likely be their first landing. So, um, adding to the short story about Hunana Niho, fast forward to 1960, 1963, um, archaeologists discovered uh, Evie. Uh, kupuna there when the marines um, decided to bulldoze uh, the sand dunes so when they un- when the marines unearthed kupuna all work stopped the archaeologists went in and did their work and um, some of the EVN remains were uh, carbon dated as early as 7 800 uh, AD now that being on record means that it, it is the oldest EV to date yeah, carbon dated in Hawaii by archaeologists. So science is telling us that this is the first landing in Hawaii on Oahu, and it's in alignment with the Mo'olelo from Arkupuna uh, that lived here in Waimanalo. What we're seeing right now is science catching up to our history, our oral history, which is a great thing. Um, so Hunanda Niho was a Puhonua in the middle of Bellows Complex. We want to bring that back, the essence of that Inoa back. So what um, understanding the geographical locations of Sherwood Forest and how it is in close proximity to Bellows, it was once part of that lease um, that we believe it was part of the Hunananiho Puhonua uh, complex, the Heo complex. Um, and looking into the Inoa, so there's that. And then looking into the Inoa of Hunana Niho, um, I just want to say that through our history, we've discovered that 
the Pu'uhonua um, has been called by three different names. But because we're using Hunana Niho today, I'm just going to try and uh, express, well, explain what I or we believe to understand. We believe that uh, Hunana Niho means. So just simply looking at the name Hunana Niho, um, we have three words, Huna, Na, Niho. Yeah, Huna meaning to hide or to keep safe, yeah, to malama. Uh, to keep from playing, you know, keep, keep from sight, to put away from sight. Na meaning plural, and niho meaning teeth. Um, we understand that, you know, if kupuna are buried, um, that what would last or live the longest would be their teeth. So just looking at um, kunana niho as a puuhonua, as well as uh, a burial site. Yeah, we understand that it is a burial, you know, it is and still is a burial site. Um, the safekeeping of the teeth or the niho in reference to evi or the remains of our kupuna, yeah, is very much uh, alive. It's, a, it's alive. That name is very much alive. And I want to share a little story, share a little story right now that, that happened most recently. Um, and I think you were going to maybe get to this question a little f- ahead, a little further. But I will share a little story right now. Um, last year, about this time, April, uh, the city and county broke ground at Sherwood Forest. Um, for a year, we've been fighting them. So they've cleared the forest within phase one multiple times already. The most recent time that they tried to start up construction, uh, that day, mere hours after resuming construction in phase one, the kupuna revealed himself. The Mm -hmm. kupuna revealed himself. And just one piece, one EV, that was all it took. Yeah. The revelation of that EV was enough to stop the work for now. So that's it, right? We're talking about a year's worth of work. The kama'aina of Waimanalo saying, hey, you cannot do this. It's not Pono. Our kupuna are resting there. And many claims, even from our Kanaka as well, yeah, even from our Kanaka experts, many claims, even from archaeologists that have been saying, no, there are no EV there. It has all been removed. There is no EV there. Sure enough, one kupuna revealed himself. And look, everything that we've been saying as Kama'aina, as Kia'i of that place, now as Kahu, um, has been true. So, Hunana Niho, to hide the bones or the teeth. Mahalo for that. I had, yeah, no idea that that's what it meant. I mean, I knew what it meant broken down, but I don't know. I feel like you saying, telling us all that brings it more into perspective for me um so so when um they started construction again was like on april 6 2020 yes and then they Um, had to stop again well yeah you know the like i said just hours after starting up um by early afternoon you know the kupuna revealed himself and um they had to stop because they had to figure out how to address the kupuna now. And um, so far, uh, construction has been resumed, construction most recently. I know um, being away, I've been trying to keep tabs on what's been happening in the kingdom. And I know that Caldwell, he, he's been making some claims about how he wants to continue again, um, which I don't know. I'm always like, 
why doesn't he just leave, you know, the Waimanalo community alone already? Because it's like everybody's been coming out time and time after again, showing that they don't want this kind of construction there. Um, so yeah, like we're in the middle of COVID and social distancing and all that kind of stuff. Um, how is the work? Or like is or everything that's going on in Waimanalo because I do see that you know people are still of course they like said people can access. I'm pretty sure there's probably still tourists coming around and exploiting like the different areas and that kind of stuff. Can you share about what's going on yeah, over there? Sure. So Waimanalo in itself as a community is strong. Okay. When when um, the reason why I say that is this pandemic hit, the new rules were set by the governor, you know, and everybody stay home. I would say in a nutshell, pretty much everybody in Waimanalo abided. Those who needed to report to work because their jobs were essential, they went to work and they came straight home. Um, you know, it was hard oh, yeah. to adjust. And you guys were um, actually the only area in Oahu that didn't have any cases. <laughs> or, I mean, I don't know and, if right, you guys well, didn't have, but you guys don't have so. What the data has shown us, yeah, is that um, on record um, there hasn't been anyone from Waimanalo who was infected with COVID nineteen. So yes, we are, I believe, one of two communities left. Um, but I don't, I don't know if they're still tracking that to date. But I know in the the at least in the first four or five weeks, um, there was no reports in or from Waimanalo of COVID nineteen. Um, so I mean that's what I mean by we're strong is uh, I think uh, because we're such a small tight knit community and we have so much aloha for each other that uh, you know we, everybody when Ho'okuleana up and made sure that everybody was by kai, everybody was okay, and that everybody was safe, and that we weren't going around and, uh, in, you know, directly or indirectly, um, through intention, affecting or infecting people. <laughs> but um, I would like to mahalo my community uh, because there is always a need for food, and many community members, many community organizations um, closed the gap and brought food into the community and make sure that it reached uh, the ones who were most vulnerable and who needed it the most. So it was really a blessing to see the community of Waimanalo uh, band together and do what we gotta do, do what we must do to take care of each other. Yes, I know. I love seeing like all the communities getting together and feeding the kupuna, feeding, you know, other people who maybe couldn't go out and get food and just calling, just answering the call for that, which was amazing mm -hmm. and is amazing. <laughs> um, also, how has, I guess, the work of, everybody banning you know to stop the construction are people still there you know holding space or were like how did the restrictions from COVID-19 kind of change you know people from holding that space over there and all that okay so 
to add a little context, let me provide a brief history to the movement or the struggle at Hunan Aniho or Sherwoods. So like I explained a little earlier, um, all of this started, you know, just over a year ago, and we've been fighting them since. Uh, late September, uh, we made the decision right when uh, the city and county announced that they were going to resume construction. Uh, we made the decision to occupy Hunana Niho, or to mm-hmm. occupy Sherwoods and hold space. Yeah. Uh, because we felt that we've exhausted all options and now it's this is where we need to be. In the meantime, um, SOS or Save Our Sherwoods was working with a lawyer, with an attorney, um, to fight this fight in the legal realm as well. So hand in hand, same time that SOS and community members uh, made the decision, the choice to occupy we were making ready for a lawsuit in the federal court. Now, September 26th came, and shortly after that, the arrest happened, uh, 28 Kia'i, Kupuna and Opio alike. Um, we occupied Hunananiho for five months, and after 127 uh, nights and day 128, uh, my Ohana and I decided to deoccupy that space because it was no longer sustainable for us to hold space there physically. Now we're always there emotionally, uh, mentally, and as well as spiritually. But on that day, yeah, every other Kia'i who came and uh, gathered again at Hunananiho, we all came into agreement and agreed that. We've transitioned from a physical, a mental, and emotional battle into a spiritual one. And that we were going to rely on Akua yeah, to be our guiding light and to help us heal yeah, the hurt and the eha that was caused in that space. So from then till now, um, we've been engaged in the community. And shortly after, right around February, early March, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic happens. Um, so here we are today. Now, where we're at, we're today. still engaging in the legal battle. We're still doing our research and making sure that to cover all bases. But for now, since April 6th to date, the city and county have not returned to that space to resume construction. And uh, I pray and I believe that Akua will help us puka true. And um, I hope, my hope is... Uh, that they do not resume construction there and they just clean up their mess and allow the community to malama. So that's where we're at today, Nanel. We're in Pule, of course, and as far as physically mm-hmm. holding space, my Ohana and I, we visit that space uh, at least two to three times a week um, because of the traffic, you know, tourists and locals alike. Um, mm-hmm. People just have this bad habit of leaving their trash everywhere they go. I don't know if that's a, you know, that's a society kind of mentality or, you know, but there's always seems to be rubbish there. <laughs> so, I, so, you know. I've been hearing as, about all the stories about, you know, more as more people, you know, since the beaches have opened up, like there's just been like a crazy amount of people not, you know, it's like crazy. Like they bring their trash there. 
they bring it over there and it's like, hello, take it back wherever you got it from. Yeah, you know, so um, that that that's been happening forever, you know, and it doesn't make it porno. It doesn't mean it's okay. But mm-hmm. as Kiai, as Kamaaina, you know, we just see the Kuleana even more clearer. Yeah, that mm-hmm. beyond uh, the preservation of what we have, our resources, we also must educate and help people come to a point of consciousness where they understand yeah that their actions affect others long before their vacation here (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um so ever since COVID-19 has any other things like revealed itself um or have become like significant to you for different issues in the community and the work that you do in the community for you? Um, my, my, I'm, I'm really passionate about food. Very passionate about food. So much so that um, I've made it my life's work as a mahi'ai or a farmer. Um, so I come from a fishing family. I was raised a fisherman. And then um, because I love food, you know, I understand that well. Uh, and we grew up blessed, but we were very poor. And, um, you know, if we couldn't afford our food, we had to go gather it or we had to grow it ourselves. And, um, you know, like within that, so much lessons and so much blessings. But now that, now because I'm at the age and I have the skills and the ability to feed others, that's what I'm super passionate about. So what I've seen COVID-19 reveal in these hard times yeah, is what myself and many others who come from um, the producing background. And when I say producing, I mean when it comes to food. Yeah, Everybody talks about um, cow, swine, chickens, you know, poultry, and all the main proteins on the on the plate. But in Hawaii, we rely heavily on the fishing industry. So when I talk about producers, I mean all of us, anyone who has anything to do with the food that ends up on your plate. So what we've been saying this whole time is we don't have enough support. Yeah. Um, what I've seen slow down and what I've seen spike is the fear of not having enough food. Now, mind you, Nanea, the we've been preparing, you know, for generations now for a scenario that, oh, what if the ships stop coming? Mm-hmm. Now, let me share with you this: during this COVID nineteen pandemics, the ships didn't stop coming; it kept coming. The ships never stopped. You know what stopped? The uh, the access, the availability to the foods that you were or people were accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily that we had a food shortage. Is the access to food diminished. Yeah. It got very, very slow, meaning that people lost their jobs because 
tourism is uh, an industry that Hawaii heavily depends on when it comes to our economy. So if you got one person working at the hotel or in the tourist industry, it's likely that you have multiple people in your household working in the same industry, likely in the mm -hmm. same hotel. So when the hotel shut down, yeah, you get sometimes one person, sometimes up to seven people in the household not working. So life got hard. Now, that's one thing. The one thing, another thing that I saw slow down or not enough reveal, one thing that I, the second thing that I saw COVID-19 reveal is the fact that we do not have enough food production in Hawaii to stand alone and be independent. Mm -hmm. And I believe the feds and the state have been trying to um, resuscitate and <laughs> give that, you know, give our agricultural industry um, some life, some ha, some breath. But I think the answer and the power is in the people. Less dependency on big ag and more investment in small ag. Yeah. Because it's one yeah. thing to because it's one thing to have ten thousand pounds of lettuce and salad. But if that food is not culturally appropriate to you and your community, guess what? You're not gonna eat it. So we need to invest more into small farms within our communities that hold, you know, the in, you know, whatever industry it is that hold Hawaii on its shoulders. We need to invest more into the foods that they consume. The foods that are being produced needs to be more culturally appropriate. What you see the big eggs growing is the Oriental market. They grow for the Oriental market. Why? It's because China, Japan bring big business here when it comes to tourism. Now, when an industry when an industry falls or comes to a halt or slows down, yeah, who's left to eat these foods? So we got to start to consider feeding our people. And when I say our people, I don't mean only, you know, the Lahui, the... Oivi, the Maoli, the Kanaka. I also mean our friends and our families who live amongst us in our community. Yeah, the Filipino, mm -hmm. the Pake, the Kepani, you know, the Popolo, all of us. Yeah, all of us. We must begin to invest in growing more culturally appropriate foods and making those foods available. I know, I have like. Being away from Hawaii and the kingdom, I've been seeing, yeah, more of our grassroots farmers stepping up to the plate and feeding our communities, which has been amazing to see. And also seeing the communities realize, you know, have that aha moment, especially during this pandemic. Like, you know, wow, we really do need to step up our support to small farms and and that kind of thing, which has been really nice to see, you know, that people are finally realizing that, like, you know, what, like, if something 
catastrophic happens and the ships don't come in, then how are we going to feed ourselves? You know what I mean? Or if something catastrophic happens and there's a virus going around and people are, uh, you know, locked in their homes and cannot yeah. access food, what happens then? Yeah. You know, so whatever scenario it is, we need to make sure that every community is ready, is ready to provide, the, you know, their own food. And I, you know, what do we have in every community, Nanya? We have public schools in every community, and we have public schools with fields. Um, I think our attention should should start to go from well, should start to go to more production of food, and maybe you know, um, give the parks a break a little, you know, a little break, and stop running around and growing grass. Maybe we should start mm-hmm. growing food. But this—that's my, you know, own personal opinion. But looking at the big picture of, of everything, I mean, food needs to be in our face, because if not, then it takes a backseat. You know, it takes a takes, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So yeah, we need totally. to start growing food in the face, and you know, in the faces of our keiki, and making it. I hate to use this word, normalizing it. Like, come on now, we eat every day. You know, mm-hmm. you try ask a random child, hey, where does your food come from? Where did your lunch come from? Where, does your, where did your dinner come from? Listen to their answers. And what comes out of their mouth is what we taught them. And mm-hmm. if they say, oh, McDonald's, or, or if they say, oh, Foodland, then we are perpetuating the disconnect between Aina and the future generations. And it's our fault. Exactly. I know. I talk so about this all the that. time. Yeah, I talk about this all the time, especially with my friends, about how disconnected like society is from, you know, like things that we should be connected to, like our where does our water well, come from, and like you know what I mean. It's just like because it's not. You are what you eat. In, so yeah, you are what you eat, Daniel. You are what you eat. If you know nothing about the food you consume, what do you really know about yourself? Mm-hmm. If all you do is, 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 crack a, is crack open a can or twist a cap and that's how you hydrate yourself, what do you know about yourself? If you know nothing about the, the fluid you hydrate yourself with or the food that you nourish yourself with, if you know nothing about that, then you know nothing about yourself. Therefore, you know nothing about your past. Therefore, we perpetuate the continual disconnect between our food as Aina, our land as Aina, and ourselves. It's really simple. The solution is very simple. Not necessarily easy in every circumstantial situation, but it's simple. Mm-hmm. Get whole, clean food and water to our people, period. Watch it change. When we can Mm -hmm. provide clean food and water to our babies, watch it, watch them, watch it change. It will change. Are we getting off subject yet? (laughs) No, not really. I think it's 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 good to you know kind of talk about food sustainability and yeah, really. 
put that question out there to people to kind of rethink and ponder on themselves, like where does their water come from? Where does their food come from? And so, so thinking let me share of this. alternative ways that they probably weren't thinking so, about in the first place. So let know? me share this. Let me share this. In Hawaii, when it comes to food sustainability, if anybody, no matter what degree you hold or pedigree you hold, if you're talking food sustainability, if you're talking sustainability, period, in Hawaii, in, in, in our kingdom, and you're not, in the same breath, you're not talking indigenous practices and solutions, indigenous and ancestral knowledge, then by no means or measure are you talking sustainability. Mm-hmm. The kupuna of this aina, yeah, the, the kupuna of this aina have been living sustainably for a millennia now. And for the, the disruption, only in the last 128 years, only in the last 200 years, you know, the symbiotic relationship between man and aina has been disrupted. Mm-hmm. So if we, if anyone, any expert or common commoner, are talking sustainability and not coming from a foundation or talking through or from a lens of indigenous and in ancestral knowledge, then by no means or measure are they talking sustainability, because big ag has failed us. Everything has failed us. You know what doesn't? Our kupuna kalo. You know what mm-hmm. doesn't? Our kupuna uala, our kupuna maia, our kupuna ulu, our kupuna aina, period. So if we like wake up, if we like be sustainable, again, we need to invest and look more into culturally appropriate food. Look where you, look where you guys at. Yeah, whoever is listening to this. Take a step back, think about where you're at, and look around you. So wrapping it up here, I always like to ask everybody that I talk to on Native Stories, but what do you envision for the future of your community, of Waimanalo, and of the Lahui? I envision more aloha aina. I envision uh, envision more consciousness because that's the key here. Yeah, everybody got to be conscious. We don't got to be philosophical. We just got to know that if you touch the fire, it burns. You know, so I see more of that happening. I see a time now where our Maoli, our Kanaka Maoli are awakening. Now, there's a, what I also see, yeah, is the lack of skills, the lack of skill set to meet the ambition that our youth have today. But all that takes is time. So what I see is a generation coming up that'll be the engineers of the future. And that is all fine and dandy. What I hope to see, yeah, what I want to see is a generation who feel, understand, and practice aloha. Because, okay, aloha kamehameha that aloha is the greatest thing. It trumps everything. No matter what you do, if you don't do it with aloha, does it really matter? (laughs) So... It's one thing to be woke, Kako. It's it's also another thing to be active and having action. But if we cannot aloha kikahi kikahi, then we've lost sight of everything. So that is my hope that the generation coming 
will understand and practice aloha. And anything after that is gravy because everything going to fall in place. Awesome. Oh, actually, I have one more question. Um, Shoot it off. Shoot it off. <laughs> I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but can you tell us about your hemp project? <laughs> um, so I am just one of the components to this hemp project that I'm involved in. And um, what I really, really want to say is hemp can become, can be that leverage. In fact, it is. We just don't realize it. But for those of us who don't want to be heavily reliant or 100% dependent on the tourism industry, there is many industries out there that will help keep Hawaii afloat economically and Hemp is one of those industries. So is agriculture because everyone got to eat. So when it comes to hemp, I believe in hemp as a medicine. Not only does it help heal people, but it heals the land. And it can provide hope for our people by means of jobs, yeah, economic opportunities. So right now we're still in the infant stage. Um, we're, and Hawaii currently is in the infant stage. Um, I'm hoping that the 2018 Farm Bill that uh, President Trump signed in December 2018 uh, goes into effect very soon uh, because there are regulations on the federal side that will benefit Hawaii farmers. And um, I look forward to that. And when the industry pops off, I mean, I think we should have another podcast talk story about the hemp. So right now, the hemp industry, no matter who you are, where you're at in Hawaii, is still at the infant stage. We're taking, uh, we're not even crawling yet. Baby steps, baby steps. You know, I've seen uh, mm-hmm. quite quite a bit of um, farmers, hemp farmers in Hawaii, and everybody mm-hmm. taking baby steps right now. So that's exactly what we're doing. But Come January 2021, it could be a whole different story. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I've, I know a lot of, of different people waiting to see what's going to happen because so, it definitely so that, can change the industry for Hawaii. So, so, so that right there, Nanea, is what our Kanaka and our Lahui cannot afford. We cannot afford to wait. We've been doing that in every industry for so long. Yeah. People yeah. say... You know, Hawaii is dependent on um, the tourism industry. And let me tell you, I kind of take offense to that because I'm Hawaii. And ask yourself, how much Hawaii own hotels? Mm. Zero. How much Hawaii, yeah, are a part of the 87% of revenue that is derived from the hotel industry that leaves Hawaii, goes offshore? How much of us invested into that? Not that many. Not enough to create an impact for the Lahui. So mm-hmm. we cannot wait. We must have the mentality to pa'ahana, to get to work. Yeah. Get busy and be the first to the trough. That is the position that we must take as Kanaka, as Bauli, as native to this land. We must always be, you know, going out there and returning. Yeah. Going out there seeking the best of Ike, the best of knowledge and returning and applying that within our communities. And that's what, that's simply what we're trying to do in our, with our hemp project is bring the mm-hmm. best of technologies back home to help our own people. Now that's the kind of mentality. That's the kind of drive that our Lahui needs. But again, if we cannot, 
um, have aloha for each other, no matter what we do, it's still not going to work. So what needs to happen and what we believe can, if we are involved, will happen with this hemp industry is an aloha paradigm shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because that's what we need. Our, our quote-unquote state, our kingdom, our lahui, our people, our keiki, our future. We need a paradigm shift. We need to start working on that. Create it more opportunities. Like, Go ahead. Goes and leeways into our last final question. Like, we like to ask um, people that, that are on Native Stories, how can people get involved in whatever initiative that um, you're in? Or do you have any call to actions to our listeners that they can try and do or, you know, challenge them to get out there and do something? Of course, of course. Um, one of the call to actions, yeah, is get busy, get involved, and get informed. One of the reasons why we're left out of the game is because we're not informed and we don't take action. Get out there, guys, yeah? We need your help in the legislature. And if you don't subscribe to the fake state and their agenda, that's fine too. Invest your aloha, invest your attention, and invest your time and money into kanaka. Yeah? That's what we need. We need more kako'o. And I'm not only talking about the individuals, but the powers and the people. I'm also talking about the ali'i trust, you know, out mm-hmm. there in Kalamai, if this offends anybody. But we need your kako'o. We need your help. So our people can be first to the trough. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we can eat first and we're not, we're not being left with slop and leftovers and scrap from the mm-hmm. rest of society that comes to Hawaii and feed, feed on our resources until their bellies get full and they get fat. Why not us? How come we cannot be as momona as our aina? So we need your help, guys. In legislature, we need you watchdogging all of these bills. Um, last year and the year before 2018, one of the bills I was, I was watchdogging was a bill about lay nets, lay netting. Like that is how we put food on the table for my family. If if the state and the LNR is going to tell me and my ohana that we cannot lay net because they have a hard time hiring people, getting out there and regulating our fisheries and our estuaries. So you're going to make us suffer, aoleloa. So that's what I mean. We need more mm-hmm. people to pay attention. And if you don't know how, that's fine. If you're listening to this on your cell phone, guess what? The laptop sitting in front of you, the cell phone that you're holding in your hand is the great equalizer. Any question you have in the galaxy, in the universe that is known to man, you can get the answer at the end, at the edge of your fingertips. That's it, Kako. Get involved. And I want to say one last thing before we log off. If you've done nothing today to secure a future where there's clean food, clean air, clean water, again, if you've done nothing today to secure a future of clean food, clean air, clean water, Clean food, clean air, clean water. What have you really left? 
for your grandchildren. It sucks to live in a house with no more food and no more water, and you cannot breathe. So, Kako, get busy. Mahalo for your time, Nada. Mahalo, Nui. Kuike for sharing your story with us here at Native Stories. Um, and for everyone, if you all want to further connect with us, please do. You can follow us on Facebook. Search Native Stories for daily updates on Native Kaimea or things. And download our ma- mobile app for place-based stories. Listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories. And make sure to share with us, all of your ohana and friends, Native Stories pride themselves in being your resource. And the more you share, the more of our Native and Indigenous knowledges and truths are told. So sending plenty aloha to you all out there. And mahalo for tuning in. Peace. Mm-hmm.